Welcome to another episode of Poetry Centered, the show that brings you recorded poetry readings curated and introduced by contemporary poets. These recordings come to you from VOCA, the audiovisual archive of the University of Arizona Poetry Center. I'm Julie Swerstad Johnson, here to welcome you to our show. Today we're hosted by Peggy Robles Alvarado, an award-winning poet, performer, and educator. She's a three-time International Latino Book Award winner, including for her most recent collection, Homage to the Warrior Women, as well as for her anthology, The Abuela Stories Project. In today's episode, Peggy introduces work by Toy Derricott, Judith Ortiz Kofer, and Ada Limon, selecting poems that offer honest, fierce, celebratory reflections on shifting identities. Peggy then reads a brand new poem of her own, written in response to the experience of listening to the archive. Welcome, Peggy, and thank you for hosting us today. This is Peggy Robles Alvarado, coming to you from the Bronx in New York City. The first poem I selected was Delivery by Toy Derricott from her collection Natural Birth published by The Crossing Press in 1983, and the reading is dated February 19, 1992. I selected this poem because it details the shift in identity from woman to mother when giving birth to what Derricotte calls an awesome stranger. You can hear the poet struggling to be heard as male doctors try to force her to receive an epidural to numb the pain as she holds her belly in her hands. Not only is her identity quickly shifting, but her voice is muffled, caught, and then growing in what she calls her black woman throat. When her son is finally born, she says it was beautiful, huge, electric, fleshy, a gesture both helpless and urgent. The shock of her new identity is repeated when she says, he is not I, I I'm not him. He is not I, this stranger. Derricotte's delight, surprise, and sorrow is all wrapped up in this honest moment where she realizes that the world expects her to sing praises for this birth, but she's just not ready. Mother is still foreign to her. And this poem reminds me of birthing my first child when I was 15 years old. How I didn't fully understand what had happened. How I struggled between childhood, girl, and woman, and how poetry saved me. And simultaneously added to my evolving identity. It gave me a medium to develop the language that I needed when addressing my ever-changing body, my place in the world, and my identity. At the end of the reading, Derricotte is startled to hear someone whistle as the rest of the audience clapped. She says, I have never heard anyone whistle at a reading before. I will never forget that. In this moment, I visualize her broad smile, and I think, why not whistle? Why not whistle? Why not celebrate all our identities in a new, loud, radical way? In all the loud and radical ways that say yes. Here is Delivery by Toy Derricotte. 
I'm going to read from my second book, Natural Birth. I'm going to read the birth section. So you'll miss pregnancy, you'll miss labor. What can I tell you? Lucky ducks. Yeah, you get, you get to the birth, the good part. Um, I, in the uh, in the sixties, you could read a book called "Thank You, Doctor Lamaze," and you could read a book called "Natural Birth," and they told you how you could now have a baby without pain or drugs. Do you remember that? <laughs> and I thought, what a great thing! You know, my mother told me many times how she almost died. And uh, all the women had almost died. And I thought, well, they, they only died because they didn't, you know, they were afraid. They didn't do all these breathing techniques and whatever. So uh, I did my breathing and my exercises, and it hurt like hell. <laughs> but it would probably be great for you if you haven't done this yet. <laughs> No problem, no problem. <laughs> but anyway, delivery uh, really uh, it it really happened for me that in delivery I I did have a painless delivery. I don't pay, I don't know why. But anyway, this is the delivery section. I was in the delivery room. Put your feet up in the stirrups. I put them up, obedient, still humble, though the spirit was growing larger in me. That black woman was in my throat, her thin song, high-pitched like a lark, and all the muscles were starting to constrict around her. I tried to push just a little. It didn't hurt. I tried a little more. Roll up, Guzzo said. He wanted to give me a spinal. No, I don't want a spinal. Same doctor as axe handle up my butt, same as shaft of split wood. Doctor Spike driving the head home where my soft animal cowed and prayed and cried for his mother. Or was the baby part of this whole damn conspiracy? In on it with Guzzo, the two of them wanting to shoot the wood up me for nothing, for playing music to him in the dark, for singing to my round class belly, for filling up with pizza on a cold night, dough warm. Maybe he wanted out, was saying, give her a needle and let me the hell out of here. Who cares what she wants? Put her to sleep. My baby pushing off with his black feet from the dark shore, heading out, not knowing which way, and trusting, oarless and eyeless, so hopeless it didn't matter. No, not my baby, this loved thing in and of myself. So I balled up and let him try to stick it in. Maybe something was wrong. Roll up, he said, roll up. But I don't want it. Roll up, roll up. But it doesn't hurt. We all stood, nurses, round the white light, hands hanging empty at our sides. Roll up in a ball, all of us not knowing how or if in such a world without false promises we could say anything but yes, yes, come take it and be quick. I put my belly in my hand, gave him that thin side of my back, 
the bones intruding on the air and little knobs and joints he might crack down my spine. His knuckles wrap each twisted symmetry, put me on the rack, each nerve bright and stretched like canvas. He couldn't get it in. Three times he tried, roll up, he cried, roll up. Three times he couldn't get it in. Dr. Y, the head obstetrician, came in. What are you doing, Guzzo? I thought she wanted natural to me. Do you want a shot? No? Well, put your legs up, girl, and push. And suddenly the light went out. The nurses laughed. And nothing mattered in this 10 a.m. sunshiny morning. We were well. The nurses and the doctors cheering. That girl combing hair all in one direction, shining bright as water. I grew deep in me like fist, and I grew deep in me like death, and I grew deep in me like hiding in the sea, and I was over me like sun, and I was under me like sky, and I could look into myself like one dark eye. I was her, and she was me, and we were scattered round like light, nurses, doctors, cheering, such waves, my face contorted, never wore such mask, so rigid and so dark, so bright, uncompromising, brave, no turning back, no nose. I was so beautiful. I could look up in the light and see my hugeness arc, electric, heavy, fleshy, living light. No wonder they praised me, a gesture one makes helpless and urgent, praising what goes on without our praise. When there was nowhere I could go, when I was so deep in myself, so large, I had to let it out, they said, drop back. I dropped back on the table, panting. They moved the head, swiveled it correctly, but I, I was losing her something ahead coming through the door. Name, please. Please, name. Whose head? I don't know. Some disconnection. Name, please. And I am not ready. The sudden visibility, his body, his curly wet hair, his arms abandoned in the air, his skin must be so cold, but there is nothing I can do to warm him. His body clutches in a wretched way. They expect me to sing, joy, joy, a son is born, child is given, my tongue curled in my head, my tears, cheeks stringy with damp hair, this lump of flesh, lump of steamy viscera. Who is this child? A child never having been seen before without credentials, credit cards, without employee reference or high school grades or anything to make him human, make him mine, but skein of pain to chop off at the navel. While they could, they held him down and chopped him, held him up, my little fish, my blueness, swallowed in the air, turned pink and wailed, no more, enough. I looked, I lay there speechless, looking for something to say to myself. After you have touched the brain, 
that squirmy lust of maggots after you have pumped the heart, that thief, that comic, they throw you in the trash. And the little one in the case of glass, he is not I. I am not him. He is not I. The stranger. Blue air protects us from each other. Here is the note he brings. It says, Mother. But I do not even know this man. Wonderful. I have never heard anybody whistle at a reading in my life. I will never forget that. I don't know who did it. I will never forget it. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I feel like I should do it. I don't know. I guess, you know, Poetry can, can be beautiful in that way. The body is poetry. Oh, thank you. The second poem I selected was Quinceañera by Judith Ortiz Kofer from her collection Silent Dancing, a partial remembrance of a Puerto Rican childhood published in 1990 by Arte Publico Press. The reading is dated September 25th, 1991. Ortiz Kofer was an award-winning writer who was born in Puerto Rico and grew up in Patterson, New Jersey. Before reading, she explains that the poem was written about her mother's generation when a quinceañera meant that girls who turned 15 were ready for marriage and in turn had to sacrifice their childhood identity their dreams and desires. She talks about her mother, who had to give up her love of volleyball to prepare for a life as a caregiver and a homemaker. Ortiz Kofer says she didn't understand this herself until much later in life. Judith Ortiz Kofer was one of the first Puerto Rican poets I learned about in college. As part of a newly developed Black and Puerto Rican Studies program at Hunter College, where I took classes to earn a bachelor's degree in English with my toddler in tow. I had to take my daughter everywhere. <laughs> Reading the work of Judith Ortiz Kofer was uh, the first of many, many steps in finding my path to poetry and listening to the low-key hum of possibility that grew in my chest every time I learned of Puerto Rican writers poets that published work full of imagery, sound, and traditions that resonated with my Latinx upbringing, poets that performed and effortlessly included Spanish into English storytelling with attention to place and purpose. Yes, representation matters because it breeds possibility. When I heard Ortiz Kofer reading 
in the Volca archive, I was moved to tears because it reminded me of the first time I held her book and read essays and poems about women similar to the ones I was raised by. But also, her work allowed me to dream that this could be possible for me as well. That my poems about growing up in a Puerto Rican and Dominican family could be celebrated as part of a literary canon. Like many writers then and now, I made poet part of my identity. First as a whisper, and then a roar. Here is Judith Ortiz Kofer reading Quinceañera. And now I would like to turn to poetry. And someone gave me what she called the last minute request, Isla from uh, the Poetry Center. And I'm going to read that poem for her uh, because I don't have it on my list and I definitely don't want to forget it. She asked me to read Quinceañera. Um, Terms of Survival is a dictionary for myself. I wrote this book because I was losing my Spanish and I was misplacing words. I could no longer talk intimately about concepts that should have been very important to me. And so I went back to Puerto Rico and bugged my mother to tell me about things, listen to her gossiping, which is a great way to get back to the language because especially in the Latino cultures, when women talk, I don't know about men, but when women talk, they have all this nonverbal stuff going on in, in codes. And, and so you learn a lot about what words really mean from, from watching them talk, not just listening. And so I made a list of words I wanted to write about, and then I wrote a book in which most of the uh, titles are in Spanish, and the, the poem that follows is my own definition. But it's not really a definition. Sometimes it's a dramatization. Uh, and I called the terms of survival because they were the terms that, that were important to my survival. And it was an interesting thing because the publisher chose to put a glossary for non-native Spanish speakers, you know, in the back, uh, which I like because it fits with my idea of this book being a lexicon of terms. So quinceañera was a term I wanted to write about. Um, and I don't need to explain it too much to you because you live in a society where you've heard this. In the Latin cultures, there is a coming out for girls called the quinceañera. Most people think that it's a debut or like the Sweet Sixteen. And it may have turned into that now, but in my mother's generation, it actually meant an announcement to the world that this girl was now ready for marriage. When my mother turned 15, they gave her the party. But she also had to stop wearing children's clothes. She had to give up her beloved volleyball. You know, which, because that was not ladylike, she had to come in the house and learn how to cook and take care of children, and she hated it. And uh, I kept saying when I turned 15, how come I get no respect, you know? How come I'm not treated like I'm marriageable and all that? And she says, you don't know what you're asking for. If you want that, what that means is you give up everything that is fun and start getting ready for what you're going to do the rest of your life. And once I understood that, I didn't understand that until I was like 35. <laughs> but uh, I wrote this poem in the voice of a girl of my mother's generation putting away her childhood. It's called Quinceañera. My dolls have been put away like dead children. 
in a chest I will carry with me when I marry. I reach under my skirt to feel a satin slip bought for this day. It is soft as the inside of my thighs. My hair has been nailed back with my mother's black hairpins to my skull. Her hands stretched my eyes open as she twisted braids into a tight circle at the nape of my neck. I am to wash my own clothes and sheets from this day on, as if the fluids of my body were poison, as if the little trickle of blood I believe travels from my heart to the world were shameful. Is not the blood of saints and men in battle beautiful? Do Christ's hands not bleed into your eyes from his cross? At night, I hear myself growing and wake to find my hands drifting of their own will to soothe skin stretched tight over my bones. I am wound like the guts of a clock, waiting for each hour to release me. The next poem I selected from the archive was How to Triumph Like a Girl by Ada Limon. And the reading is dated April 5th, 2018. In this poem, Limon focuses on the eight-pound heart of a female horse as a symbol of her own passionate, complex identity that she knows, quote, is going to come in first. The heart itself is synonymous with bravery, intellect, understanding, and it is deeply tied to the soul. Limon details the function of a horse's essential muscular organ and ties it to her own chest as a gesture of strength and will. The power and purpose in her identity as a girl, a woman, and a winner becomes all-encompassing and not just possible, but attainable and certain. Limon expresses a sense of self-worth and pride with a dangerous swagger we should all include as part of our own identities as poets. This poem asks me to be just as brave, strong, strong-willed, and identify myself as a winner. Here is Ada Limon reading How to Triumph Like a Girl. I'm going to begin with the first poem of uh, Bright Dead Things. Uh, the poem was written for uh, the day before the Kentucky Derby, which is the Kentucky Oaks Day, which is when all the female horses race, when the fillies race. How to Triumph Like a Girl. I like the lady horses best, how they make it all look easy. Like running 40 miles per hour is as fun as taking a nap or grass. I like their lady horse swagger after winning. Ears up, girls, ears up. But mainly, Let's be honest, I like that they're ladies. As if this big, dangerous animal is also a part of me. That somewhere inside the delicate skin of my body, there pumps an eight-pound female horse heart. Giant with power, heavy with blood. Don't you want to believe it? Don't you want to lift my shirt and see the huge, beating, genius machine that thinks? No, it knows. It's going to come in first. 
The last poem I will leave you with is my own poem, written after diving headfirst into this beautiful VOCA archive and balancing the memories of reading Judith Ortiz Kofer shortly after becoming a teen mother and Toy Derakat's poem titled Delivery, and how much of my identity was shifted, mended, and eventually molded by and through poetry. This poem is after... Ada Limon's poem, How to Triumph Like a Girl, and like many of my poems tied to identity, it was inspired by my daughter, who much like Limon, displays a relentless and resilient spirit that was born to win. She doesn't have a horse, <laughs> but she has a blue-nosed pit bull named Skye, a breed of dog that is often misrepresented and maligned. In New York, pit bulls are symbolic of strength and protection, their presence is feared or respected, depending upon who the viewer is. I wanted to write to that presence, the kind of strong will that hums in the heart, that dangerous seduction that forges new identities and asks we celebrate with a bite, a whistle, and our own kind of roar. Here's my poem titled Stunting. I like the blue-nosed pit bull best. How she flexes muscle and jawline when walking down Broadway like a bad bitch. Flaunting a hulking chest, broad-faced and sleek. Embracing the killer myths neighborhood viejitas tell as they cross the street to avoid her. Knowing a pink leash is just an accessory to her swagger. If taunted by the tigres on the corner... Boys playing at manhood, smelling of Newports and Colt 45. She will clap back with 300 pounds of pressure, vibrating across 42 teeth poised for the what's good, or the you good, or the we good. Somewhere inside the most tender spaces in my mouth lives a bite with the tongue still smelling of wolf. Grip tightening, head shaking, unsure of whose blood be on the sidewalk, ready to stunt on all the stories whispered about her, knowing she was bred to win. Peggy, thank you for engaging with these recordings so deeply and sharing your insights. We're grateful for your time and your presence. Listeners, thank you for being with us. Have you checked out VOCA at voca.arizona.edu? You can find over 1,000 recordings of poets reading their work there, free and open wherever you are. We hope you'll find something that will move you. Two weeks from now, we'll be back again with a new episode of Poetry Centered, hosted by Bojan Lewis. Thanks again for joining us. Poetry Centered is a project of the University of Arizona Poetry Center, home to a world-class library collection of more than 80,000 items related to contemporary poetry in English and English translation. Located on the campus of the University of Arizona in Tucson, the Poetry Center Library and buildings are housed on the indigenous homelands of the Tohono O'odham people. Poetry Centered is the work of Diana Marie Delgado, that's me, and Julie Swarstad-Johnson, with support from Sarah Jemski. Explore VOCA 
the Poetry Center's audiovisual archive online at voca.arizona.edu.